0: Hey, I'm Jesse. We've arrived at chapter six of 1 Corinthians and Paul is about to crack some skulls. If any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels how much more matters of this life? So here, Paul is addressing the litigiousness within the church of Corinth. He is angry at this point. He's using strong language. How dare you, he says in verse one, how dare you take it to court for the unrighteous? This was a common issue within the church of Corinth. And it's shocking all the more, especially in our context today, wherein victims are beyond reproach in any regard whatsoever. This is actually what made the the Ghislaine Maxwell case so shocking, the fact that she was initially a victim, then became an accomplice, and now she's being taken to task at the time of recording. That Paul is coming after people who were evidently victims of mistreatment in some fashion. And he's going to, he's going to accuse them of also in participating in wrongdoing at some level in verse eight. But at the beginning, he asks, how dare you take these matters to court before the unrighteous? Let's start with some of the ending, ending wording. Don't you know that we will judge angels how much more matters this life? What is Paul talking about here? We see the angelic rebellion and we see angels cast out of God's presence. When we look at eschatological prophecy, we look at books like Revelation. For example, we see that we preside over the judgment of angels. Angels play a unique role uh, within the redemptive plan of God. When you die, you don't become an angel. If you've read that somewhere, if somebody passes away and then like a common social media post is heaven gained another angel today, it's not biblically accurate, it's a sweet sentiment, but we actually are regarded higher in God's redemptive plan than angels are in that we are the heirs to the kingdom, that we will, along with Christ, see this eternal condemnation of the angels. You see in Revelation, death itself, Personified, and we see Satan himself cast into a lake of burning sulfur forevermore. This is the final judgment of the rebellious angel himself, Lucifer. And so this is speaking forward eschatologically. Paul's going to do that more, especially when we get to chapter 15. So the fact that we are entrusted with presiding over the judgment of eternal angels means that we ought to be trustworthy in adjudicating what he refers to as trivial cases in verse 2. Now, these are trivial cases, but by what standard? Evidently, they were significant enough to go to court with somebody over. And so when we see the word trivial, don't think, uh, okay, you stepped on my toe in a lobby, Uh, I'm gonna sue you now. It's a bit more serious than that. But he refers to it as something that you ought to be able to manage within the church. You ought to have the ability to deal with these disputes within the church. The church's existence is predicated on our ability to handle conflict. If it's predicated upon never having conflict at all, then you either don't exist as a church and you just die the very first time you have difficulty, or you just cover stuff up and you shove skeletons into closets and you play the PR game. Rather, deal with these issues, deal with these matters, deal with these disputes, within the church he speaks often within, in this chapter as we'll see throughout the, the the devotions this week as to the effect this has on the witness of the church how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints you have appealed to a pagan system of government, the Roman government, to settle a dispute between two Christians. That means that you believe the gospel's so true, you believe in the cross, you believe the, in the atoning work of Christ, the healing power of the Holy Spirit, and then the, uh, the, the, the offending party also believes in Christ, believes in the cross, believes in the resurrection, believes in the atoning work of Christ on the cross, and the healing power of the Holy Spirit, and you two have, have tapped some dude who worships a sun God to mediate between you. This makes no sense. You both have the gospel. You've both been forgiven absolutely everything and you're under the obligation to forgive. In fact, you've been warned that if you don't forgive, your prayers to God asking for forgiveness will be hindered. So why don't you settle this issue yourselves? You do this before the unrighteous. Now there's public record. Paul was likely taking into consideration the effect this would have on non-Christian Roman judges' perception of what was seen as like this radical sect of Judaism on what the Corinthian uh, legal leadership would see in the church if all they see is these Christians coming to court to sue each other, handle this within the church. We saw this in our curriculum last week wherein church discipline just works. I have never seen the church discipline model fail. In Matthew 7, 1, Jesus says, do not judge. It's a very popular verse until you read verses 2 through 5 where we're told to take the planks out of our own eyes. We've got our own sin. Deal with your own sin first. Then you can see clearly to confront your brother on his sin. This begins one-on-one. And if he still doesn't listen, Okay? By the way, don't make that just a one-time five-minute conversation. Don't make that just just a text message. I've seen people abuse that and just make it a one-time 30-second interaction. They don't realize they're about to be taken to step two of spiritual discipline. They ought to understand what you're planning here. So it's worth even more than one conversation one-on-one, I believe, as long as they understand this is what we're doing right now. One-on-one. And if they repent, by the way, you drop the matter. If they repent, if they confess, you drop the matter. Or oh, by the way, consider the fact that you may be off base, that they biblically may not actually be in sin. You may be actually taking them to task over a personal preference of your own. Make sure you get the plank out of your eye. Make sure you're on biblical solid ground. You go, go to your brother or sister in Christ one-on-one. If they repent, which is what happens 90 plus percent of the time, the matter is over. Don't blog about it. Don't post about it. Okay. Don't dredge up past sins for, so, for which someone has repented. How would you feel if somebody cataloged your past sins from which you have repented? You settle this matter in-house as a church. When you, as a believer, go to court with another believer, you are enacting evidently what you believe to be the highest power, and it's not God. It's Washington State, for crying out loud. You, you show whom you worship when you enact the legal system on a brother or sister in Christ when you haven't gone one-on-one, brought two or three witnesses, and then brought them before the larger body of believers. That third step of, of spiritual discipline is what the secular world refers to as an intervention. In fact, it's remarkably similar in that when you see the show Intervention, it's all understood that if they don't repent from this action that's affecting everybody, then you're gonna cut them off. This is similar to what step three brings. So step three sounds really harsh. It's actually quite grace-filled and it's quite beautiful, especially when the especially when the offending party repents when they repent from their sin. It's absolutely exquisite to behold, and it saves the souls of the lookers-on as well. Paul is very sensitive to litigiousness within the church. There are people out there, there are Christians in this world, who ought to thank God. That I believe this passage because I've been wronged. I've I've been hurt by other Christians and and in ways that have affected my wife and my kids and my livelihood. But because I believe this passage, because they they love the Lord, I've not gone to court with them because of this passage. When I do want to sue the living, living stew out of someone, it's really just vindictiveness on my part. It's my flesh. I just want to sock them in the jaw. And that's sinful on my part. I need to trust God. It is God's to avenge he will repay. By bringing in a heathen governmental body to preside over a dispute between two redeemed believers, I'm following a formula that is just is like, hey, devil, have a seat at the table. And I'm also damaging the witness of the church as I do it. How dare you, Paul asks. You ought to be able to handle matters within the church. We'll talk more about this one tomorrow.